Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has left Moscow's forces severely weakened to the point that it may take them years to actually recover. Could that force Vladimir Putin to back off a little bit or does it make him more dangerous and will things actually get worse before they get better? Olivier Knox is the national political correspondent and anchor of, of course, the Daily 202 at The Washington Post. Something I depend on every day. Olivier, thanks for joining us on a Friday. My pleasure. So as uh, as you look at it, uh, one of the things that uh, you had pointed out in the uh, Daily 202 is the uh, idea that Putin may be more dangerous now than before the invasion. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. That's based on testimony from two very senior American officials this week, the Senate Armed Services Committee, uh, Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines, and Lieutenant General Scott Barrier, who uh, runs the Defense Intelligence Agency. They, uh, they came to a hearing, these are annual exercises by Senate Armed Services and House and Senate Armed Services and Intelligence Committees called Worldwide Threats. And of course, uh, China and Russia dominated this one. And one of the things that, that came out was that because of all of his conventional setbacks, because the war has not gone the way he planned, because he was unable to take Kiev, the capital, and uh, knock out the government of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, Putin may now have to turn to more drastic steps. He may now have to consider a mass mobilization of Russians. Uh, he may be inclined to, uh, and it seems, it seems hard to imagine, but he may be inclined to escalate his, uh, his military tactics uh, against besieged Ukrainian cities. And so while he has been weakened, and both Haynes and Barrier suggested it would take years for the Russian military to recover, while he has been weakened, the net result is that he might, he might be tempted to try things that are outside of uh, what he's done so far, things that are more drastic, things that are more dramatic, and things that are more dangerous. Yeah, and that's uh, definitely something to, to to keep our eye on. One of the things I thought was interesting coming out of those uh, committee hearings, uh, Senator Angus King uh, talked about the intelligence component to all of this and that there was clearly uh, a uh, underestimation of what uh, Ukraine could do, both from a willpower and skill power. Uh, and I think there was also a little bit of an overestimation in terms of skill power, particularly in terms of Russia, uh, what does that kind of intelligence, how does that inform where we are and and what exactly Vladimir Putin might do next? Well, Senator King was concerned because of, of the intelligence gap that you described. Um, you know, the intelligence community generates a bunch of different data points for policymakers. So they'll say, they'll, they'll assess leader intent. You know, is Putin is Putin, is Putin intent on invading or is he bluffing? And that they got very right. Um, what is Moscow's capacity, which is sort of a, a, a carry-all term for how many tanks do they have, how many troops do they have, what kind of munitions do they plan to use? Until he got that one pretty much right. And then there's will to fight, which is, you know, how, how willing are the people involved to fight and potentially die for this cause? And, 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 on, on the Ukrainian side, American intelligence was just wrong. Um, the idea was that uh, 
that Zelensky might might actually flee into exile. There were already there were plans for him to be in a, in a government in exile for many many weeks now, um, and instead he stayed put and he rallied his people uh, and they've outperformed every expectation. And King connected this uh, will to fight problem back to the Afghan withdrawal. And in both cases, he said, look, if we'd estimated the Afghan will to fight correctly. Um, we, uh, we might have handled the withdrawal different, differently in a more orderly way. And if we defend the Ukrainian will to fight more accurately, then we might have been able to send them more material more quickly. And so this is sort of a, this is sort of a policy problem. And he got, he got Haynes to say that they're looking at new methodologies to assess will to fight. It's very, very difficult, Tough. very, very subjective. You can count tanks, Boyd. It's very <laughs> hard to assess the courage of a, of a population. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and that makes it all, yeah, it's just all the more challenging. Uh, but it's interesting to think through in terms of what we do intelligence-wise and, and can we actually assess that that willpower component, the skill power or the tank power. I think we can, we can get those right uh, most of the time. Uh, as you continue to evaluate and, and look at this, Olivier, uh, obviously um, it, it's put uh, Putin in, a, in an interesting spot. Many are saying, well, he's just he's not changing or scaling down what his objectives are. He's just kind of refocusing in the short term. Uh, any indications right. about how he starts to go about that? Yeah, both, both uh, Avril Haines, the director of national intelligence, and uh, General Barrier, the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, both said – that basically what's happening right now, you know, after the failure to take Kiev, after his forces were driven back, Putin was widely reported to have refocused on this area of eastern Ukraine, the Donbass, um, where there are there's a fairly sizable Russian-speaking population and a fair number of pro-Russian separatists. And he refocused on eastern Ukraine and on southeastern Ukraine, you know, everything slightly north of Crimea, the Ukrainian region that he annexed in 2014. And the idea here is that he's trying to build this kind of land bridge um, that lets him control a giant chunk of the uh, of the Ukrainian coast on the Black Sea. Um, he may actually try to make a push towards Transnistria, which is this this region of Moldova, one of Ukraine's neighbors. If he does that, um, in theory, and again we have to say in theory because the Russian performance has been so bad. In theory, he could um, basically lock down the Ukrainian coast, the Black Sea, which would have all kinds of big knock-ons. One of them being that it's uh, considerable food would have to go overland if they went anywhere at all. Yeah, and then uh, finally, before I let you go, uh, Putin still seems to be betting that uh, that the West uh, will get tired of all of this and will lose its willpower, <laughs> its resolve, uh, before Russia right. does. Uh, how? What's the uh, intel telling us about that? Yeah, the argument there is that the, the Russian people are used to seeing high prices and shortages and general economic trouble and that folks in the West, particularly Western Europe and the United States, are not, and that, you know, high gas prices and rising food costs and the like, that we're just not as well equipped as the Russians to withstand that. Um, that's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting wager by Vladimir Putin, in part because at least the polling I've seen, um, Americans, even Americans who worry about the impact on the price of the pump favor banning Russian gas, favor uh, sanctions against Russia. Now, over over the long haul, you know, maybe Putin's right. But uh, in, in the short term, he's still suffering some pretty significant losses. Yeah. And uh, anything else that you're seeing on your radar, Olivier, that uh, maybe we're not talking about enough or things that are just kind of emerging that we should be watching uh, as this continues to drag on? 
There's one thing that I would point you and your listeners to, and that is uh, the uh, the coming debate about admitting uh, Sweden and Finland into mm-hmm. NATO. And the, the one element that I think gets lost is that this is not just um, letting a couple more countries into the club. This is a decision, affirmative decision to say that we are willing to fight and die if Russia invades um, Finland and, and Sweden. And so that's a, that's a very serious component of this conversation. It may not come to that because Turkey apparently has said it'll block their membership, but it's something we keep, we keep sort of forgetting that NATO expansion is an affirmative statement by the members of the alliance that they will come to the aid, to the rescue. They will help them help any country that is attacked. They will, the entire alliance will come help. And that's just, I'm not saying don't admit those countries up to the alliance, up to those countries' populations. It just, it's part of the debate that kind of gets lost and it makes it a little. It makes it seem a little more trivial than it is, and so it's just important not to lose sight of it. Uh, fantastic insight, as always. Olivia Knox is the national political correspondent and anchor of the Daily Two Hundred Two at the Washington Post. Olivia, I always appreciate your perspective. Great insight, and uh, you have a great weekend. You too. All right. Again, that's uh, Olivia Knox from the Washington Post, and uh, he always gives such precise uh, insight on all of that. Uh, he's he's a great thinker. A uh, great writer and uh, really helps to, to clarify. He's someone I'd look to on a regular basis to see, okay, how's he framing it? Why does he think this way? What intel is he getting from his sources? Uh, and that's just an important part as you look at something as complex. Uh, and I love the fact that we're having this conversation uh, about both kind of the skill power uh, or the the uh, operative power versus the willpower, that will to fight. Uh, and I love what uh, Senator Angus King, uh, independent in the United States Senate talked about of we got to do a better job of, of figuring out how to assess that. We, we vastly underestimated the, the willpower, the will to fight, the will to defend uh, of Ukraine. And had we known that, would we have gone about it a little different early on? Uh, and uh, would we have sent more early that we may not have to do later on? Uh, and so it's an important part of this whole process, an important part of the discussion. Uh, and we'll keep having that. We're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jen Psaki, last ride today from the platform uh, at the White House uh, in the room where she has done battle for over 500 days uh, defending the president. We'll break down her tenure as press secretary and the role of press secretary in the past and in the future. Stay with us. More to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.